Good morning. Our passage today comes from Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you are also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you are dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailed it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is the word of the Lord. Hallelujah. His word is good. Woo, hallelujah. That's a good passage, isn't it? You guys ready to roll this morning? Well, good morning. My name is Jeff. I am uh, thankful you joined us this morning. Um, I want to start with a question. If you were standing at the gates of heaven, and this could be for anyone, um, Christian, those that are spiritually curious, those that are seeking, those that are part of another faith, if you're standing at the gates of heaven or nirvana or whatever um, kind of post-this-world life you subscribe to, and the leader asks you, maybe it's St. Peter, why should I let you in? Why, how, why should I give you access into heaven? How would you answer? How would you respond? And not only that, but how confident would you be in your response? I think this is a pretty convicting question. You think, of, you look at your life, you look at your heart, you look at the things that come in your mind, and you go, you start adding them up, and you go, man, how would I get in? If you're not a Christian, oh, what gives you confidence that you're on the right track? Is there an internal belief? Is there source material? In the Christian faith, we would have the Bible. Is this something that you've just developed inwardly in your mind? Where do we find our confidence in who we are? Or better yet, because we know who we are, if we're honest, deep down, how is anyone confident? Let me give you a kind of a fun illustration. When I was uh, 23, five buddies and I flew to Oahu and went to Waikiki to go surfing. Uh, none of us had really surfed before. We were all in one hotel room, six guys, and that's what you do when you're 23. And we surfed every day, had a great time. But one day we decided to go skydiving. And we went to this skydive Hawaii place. How many have ever skydived before? Show of hands. Okay, decent amount. Went to the skydive Hawaii place on the North Shore. And we show up and we're signing in. We're getting ready. We're getting excited. And we look and in the corner, there are these like 1970s skydive jumpsuits. And we're like, hey, do we need a put those on for the jump. And they go, no, 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 you don't need to put those on. Those are really old. So the next question we asked is, 
can we put those on? And so let me give you this first picture. Um, there's the suits we put on. That's me in the blonde hair in the blue and five buddies. You can see the, the stripes, just old school vintage skydive suits. And we decided to go skydiving. So if you've ever been skydiving, you get in this little plane and we, I met my instructor. We kind of hooked up. He hooked me to him. He's the one that's obviously going to pull the ripcord to, to deploy the chute. And we get in the plane and we're sitting and we're stacked in there. Let me go to the next picture. You are stacked in this plane. And at first it was just pure excitement. I can't believe I'm doing this. And then the plane starts to take off higher. And you're looking and all of a sudden you're like, I can't believe I'm doing this. And it levels off at 13,000, 14,000 feet. And all of a sudden this door rips open, this light goes off, and I'm watching my friends go out the door, gone. We get to the door and you're looking out and it's like one, two, and you're like, there's no going back, jump. And then you're tumbling, you're falling, it's incredible. They pull the cord, the chute comes out and amazing place to do it because you're looking around, you can see the whole island and you're kind of just floating down um, in Oahu, looking around. It was an amazing experience. And I don't know why this, you can remove that picture. I don't know why this, thanks, Nicole. Um, I don't know why this story came up, but as I was thinking about this sermon, something hit me um, in regard to that skydiving adventure. Not one time did I think, maybe I should check the, parach- the, the backpack to make sure the parachute's in there. Like never crossed my mind. Not one time did I think, man, how experienced is this person that I'm going to jump out of a plane with? I just went, well, I guess he's a professional. Let's go to 14,000 feet and jump out of a plane. Right? Never did I go, should I be sure and conf- how confident should I be that we're going to survive this jump? You know, because I think as we think about our faith, those of us that are in the church, I think a lot of us approach faith this way. You go, man, I'm on this path and I guess this is it, but I really hope at the end that that parachute's packed correctly. Like when I get done with this life, I hope I made the right choice. And my hope and my goal and my prayer for us today as followers of Jesus, that you leave here with a faith-filled confidence in who you are and what you believe because of who Jesus is. And for those of you that are spiritually curious I pray that the person of Jesus would capture your heart today. There is no one like him, as we're going to see. He's what sets Christianity apart from every other religion, every other worldview. And so we're going to look at this beautiful passage in Colossians uh, through three points today. If you're taking notes, be careful, be full, be free. Be careful, be full, be free. So let's jump in. Point number one, be careful. Colossians 2.8. Paul writes, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. First word, first Greek word here is this Greek word, blepete, see to it, the NIV and the ESV translates. The NLT says, do not let anyone. The New King James says, beware. And the CSB says, be careful. We're going to start this passage of scripture with a warning. And the warning is this, and the warning should be heard for all, from all of us here. Do not let anyone capture you with philosophical ideas, 
Ideas that, as Paul puts it, are hollow and deceptive. This is is the theme Paul has been dressing already through Colossians. If you look back at verse 4, he writes, he warns us to not be deceived by fine-sounding arguments. Now, scholars are a little divided in terms of what these these philosophical arguments are. They're most likely Jewish arguments, but they could have been Greek, they could have been Roman, they could have been a combination of the three. But it really doesn't matter. Because as we begin this morning... The truth was that these persuasive philosophical influences were pulling their church away from its mission. These were well-thought-out arguments, and they were affecting this young body of believers. As you see in the end of verse 8, they're pulling them away from Christ. And Paul uses some really strong language here. Don't be taken captive. This is actually a reference to war in regard to captivity. Don't let the enemy get you. These arguments were preventing the church from experiencing true freedom. And we see that it comes in two separate places. Number one, from human tradition. Alan Thompson um, writes in his commentary about human tradition. He writes that this teaching, therefore, does not come with God's approval. Cannot help with knowing God and does not offer any insight into God's purposes and plans for the world. Any claim it makes about eternity and God's will must be, by definition, lead away from God. These human ideas are pointing the opposite direction of the gospel. Okay, so you have human tradition pointing away from God. You have these spiritual forces in the world. Spiritual forces which control the world, which are at war for your souls. If we think about the spiritual reality, if we think about the devil or Satan, as we look at scripture, how does he mislead? There's often this picture of the devil with the pitchfork. It's like a horror movie plays out, but that's not how he works. He instead works to mislead and deceive If we think about what he communicated to Eve in the beginning of Genesis and the fruit of the garden, he says, you won't die if you eat it. No, no, no. Your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. A little bit of truth sprinkled with a little bit of lies. Deception. John Mark Comer, in his book, Live No Lies, he writes, In regard to lies, the lies of this world, he goes, the exact nature of the lies changes from generation to generation, culture to culture, and person to person. But they always run run along these lines. Distance yourself from God. Do your own thing. Redefine good and evil based on your own gut and desire. Let me read that again. I want you to think about our current cultural context that we live in. Distance yourself from God. Do your own thing, redefine good and evil based on your own gut and desire. Pretty applicable, pretty um, relevant for today, isn't it? But the reality is both of these deceptions, whether from human tradition or spiritual forces or probably a combination of the both, they take us away from Christ. That's why Paul gives such a strong warning here. Don't be taken captive. 
It's a warning we should not take lightly either. You know, and if there's three competing philosophies back in the first century, first century, Jewish, Greek, and Roman, it feels like there's 300 today, doesn't it? There are so many conflicting beliefs and worldviews and viewpoints, and they're assaulting us from everywhere, from technology, from social media, from our phones, from work, from school, from university. And I want to take a minute to talk about culture. We're going to kind of pause a little bit on the text and just talk about what's going on in our culture today. I was listening to a podcast of a guy named Derek Thompson. He's a writer for The Atlantic. Not a Christian, but had some in interesting insights in regard to our culture in this moment. And he says that we are a culture of little cults. And not cults in terms of um, weird religions where you put on white robes and drink juice and go into follow the meteor or whatever. But cults in regard to how our culture is broken up. He writes a, a really in-depth definition of what a cult is. He says this, it is an intense and relatively novel movement that defines itself in opposition to a mainstream that fosters intimacy within the group through a blend of resentment and superiority over the mainstream and adopts ideas or rituals that bind people within the group. But those same ideas and rituals seem insane to people outside of it. Within the group, we're binded together. and Outside of it, everyone goes, man, that's, feels like insanity. Let me give you some examples. A fun one. How many grew up playing Pokemon? Anyone? How many have kids that do play Pokemon? Okay, Pokemon, for those of you that aren't aware, it's a card game of really weird characters. And the reason it's been so successful for so long is because parents look at it and they know it's relatively innocent, but they don't understand it and they want nothing to do with it. It is like a foreign language to parents. And kids go, this is great. This is our own little language, our own little movement, our own little game or whatever. And so it's, it's maintained this movement among kids that parents want nothing to do with it. Binding kids within it, insanity to those outside of it, right? Pokemon. Let's, let's go a little bit more into today. Our current news cycles, right? What's the message you hear from some of these more impassioned news outlets? The media is lying to you. You hear this on both sides, right and the left. The media, the media is lying to you. They don't want you to know the truth, right? This is what we hear from news. Very similar with politics, Right, where people on the left cannot understand how anyone could vote for the most likely the president on the right. right, And the people on the right cannot understand. It is insanity for both of them on top of the fact that we are now geographically split around the country. We have these pockets of little cults. And the last one we'll talk about is celebrity fandom. There are large, powerful affinity groups forming around us that most of us have no idea about. You have a guy on YouTube, Mr. Beast. How many have ever heard of Mr. Beast, right? Has billions and billions of views. Has a following of young people. Human tradition, giving them his worldview, his view on life, right, through YouTube. How many have ever heard of these three people? Cobain Lane, Charlie D'Amelio, 
or Bella Porch. One, two, three, four, five. Okay, these are the top three TikTokers right now. Five of us have heard of them. I am not one of those five. 407 million followers between the three of them. Almost half a billion. 16.2 billion views. And yet, nobody in this room has heard of them. 20 years ago, 30 years ago, pre-internet, we may not have liked them. We all would have heard of them. Not so anymore. That there is hollow and deceptive philosophy being fed to us from all different angles. And it is assaulting our young people right now. And so the result of this cultural moment is what? We're splintered, fragmented. There's so much consumption. We're being fed by different beliefs and ideologies. There's no unification or even discussion between different ethnicities and generations or even family units. We're being assaulted on all sides, not to mention the mental health issues we see in our current moment. Again, really with young people. If, you're, if there's something that piques curiosity, go read the CDC's report that came out a couple years ago on, um, on kids and mental health, specific girls in light of social media. Depression, suicidality, mental health. There's a world coming for your souls, coming for your kids, and it's pretty overwhelming if we think about it. Trying to push us away from the gospel, away from God, and into um, the ideas of human tradition. So what do we do? What can we do? And the simple answer is on our own, nothing. There's nothing you can do. But thankfully, we're not alone. Where do we find confidence when we're assaulted by so many different voices? Let's move into point number two. Paul's gonna help us here tremendously. Point number two, be full. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. We do have a transitionary sentence here from, eight to, from verses eight to nine. Uh, we are not to fall into the trappings of these philosophical ideas for, or we could say, because in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word what? Was God. Maybe you've asked this question before, man, I wish I knew what God was like. If I could only know what God was like, I would know how to follow him. Well, let me give you a little hint. We get to see what God is like in the person of Jesus. Scott McKnight, he writes that this is a breathtaking claim that Paul makes here because it implies that in Christ, we see God most clearly. It's amazing reality then in the Bible, we get to see the person of Jesus. And in doing so, we get to see God. That's why regular reading and meditating in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is so important. We get to see God most clearly in those pages through the person of Jesus. You know, sometimes it's easy to forget what a gift the Bible is to us. Is there any greater confidence that we can have than uh, claiming to have a book that is the very words of God. A book that's been scrutinized, dissected, picked apart. 
a book opponents of Christianity would love to discredit. Yet we have over 5,000 unique copies of the New Testament that provides incredible confidence that these are the words of God. It's a lifeline in the insanity of the culture with which we live. It's how we test everything. And if you're not, let me give you a little encouragement and challenge. If you're not regularly engaging in scriptures, you are setting yourself up to be manipulated and swayed by this culture. Start in the Gospels, the four books that tell the story of Jesus. This is just a great challenge that I want to give you today. We have a Bible reading plan um, within the church, but just open up those books, any of the four, start reading, start thinking about what it must have been like to be around Jesus. Start, getting, start to get an idea for what God's heart is. Because we have Christ as all the fullness of the deity, but then he's going to continue a really in, incredible thought. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is ahead over every power and authority. You've been brought to fullness. We pause and just consider that claim for a second. I immediately went, what does that mean to be brought to fullness? Because I know myself and I don't always feel it. And Paul's going to answer that in the following verses. But you know, he makes these pretty bold claims. And then he kind of moves on with the letter where you go, wait, wait, I wish I could sit with Paul and go, what do you mean that we've been brought to the fullness as Jesus has been brought, has the fullness of the deity and we've been brought into that? I don't understand. But if we went back to the gospels, Jesus, because he knows us better than Paul knows us, he's a little kinder, I think. He's infinitely wiser. And he speaks in a language that, with illustrations and pictures that I think we can understand. So I just want to read for you a picture of the connection we have in Jesus. It's a passage that we've gone back to many times at this church. But as you, as you think about what does it mean to be in the fullness of Jesus, let me read four verses in John 15. Jesus writes, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. Now listen, we could spend an entire sermon on just obviously these four verses, but we are brought to fullness when we are connected to Jesus, when we choose to follow the Messiah. And why do we stay connected? Very simply in verse 10, because he is superior over everything and everyone. We are not to return to basic elemental and human philosophies. Christ has triumphed. We are connected because he will never let us go. That is his promise to us. He will never let us go. So as we are inundated with fine-sounding arguments that seem so compelling, 
We are to remember that the fullness of life is only found in Jesus. These fine-sounding arguments cannot and will not hold up against the power and authority of Christ. They cannot, they will not. Now, some of you might be continuing this thought process and thinking this question, which is, how are we brought to fullness? What does that look like? What's the process? Well, let's go to point three, be free. This is the how. The how is found in this unique section of Scripture. Paul is going to use circumcision and baptism to help us understand how we can be connected to God through Christ. What did circumcision represent to the Israelites? Why were they circumcised? Thought about that? It's very simple. What circumcision meant was that they belonged. They belonged. They were now a part of God's people. You were not circumcised when you made the decision to be an Israelite. You were not circumcised when you got old enough to make the decision on whether you were going to follow the Hebrew scriptures. No, you were circumcised on the eighth day of your life. And as a result of of circumcision, you belong to God's family. So circumcision of the heart performed by the spirit means you belong to God through the forgiveness of your sins. How does this happen? Paul's going to make this very clear in verse 13. But before that, he's going to go into this connection between circumcision and baptism, right? He writes in verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. You have died with Christ, buried with him, and then united with him in the resurrection. This is what we see in baptism. From death down in the water to life. And because you were dead in your sins, really important, this is what we see in verse 13, because you were dead in your sins, there was nothing you could do to be united to Christ foundational to our faith is the reality that there's nothing you can do to be united to Christ, to come into this fullness. It is impossible. But he made you and me alive with Christ through the forgiveness of sins. And that sin that would condemn us, he took it away and he nailed it to a cross. This is what we see in 14. He nailed it to the cross by putting those sins on the one who was sinless. And as a result, we are welcomed into the family of God. Because of what Christ did, we have fullness with him. This is what separates Christianity from every worldview, from every religion, from every TikTok video and Instagram feed, okay? All other beliefs are gonna want something from you. Morality, obedience, loyalty, to enhance the name or the position or the influencer, right? All of the beliefs are going to push you away from the gospel, the good news that God did it for you because you couldn't do it on your own. All these other views, that's why they can't stand under the triumph of the cross. 
the end of verse 15. The reality that God sent his son to be nailed to the cross for your sin. And he has canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. We owed, he paid. He requires nothing from us. He does this out of his vast love for you. This is good news. This is, makes me think of what C.S. Lewis talks about in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe of deeper magic, a greater understanding. God did something we could never fathom because of his love for you and for me. So why are we free? Why do we have, why are we, why do we have freedom? Why are we not in captivity? Because there's nothing we can do to receive this fullness. It has been given to us. It is a gift. You have been brought from death to life by the grace of Jesus alone. You're free because it is not about you. So I hope you leave today with great hope because of who Jesus is, because of his love for you. Let me close with another story from the Gospels. This time the Gospel of John. This is one of my favorite little passages of Scripture. Jesus does this teaching on the bread of life and, and it's a little confusing. The people are following him because they want real bread. He's just, he's just taken 5,000 people and given them bread and fish and they followed him because they want more food. And he gives this teaching that I am the bread of life. And the people and the disciples, right? Jesus had 12, but he had a lot of other disciples. A lot of the other disciples said, this is hard teaching. And they went away from him. They were misled and they left. And in a moment of vulnerability, Jesus in John 6, 67, it's not on the screen, but he says this, you don't want me to leave too, do or well, he says this, sorry, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. And he asked his core disciples, are you gonna go? And Simon Peter answers him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. You know, I've heard some great arguments in my life for other religions and other beliefs. I've seen friends walk away from faith, but I relate so much to Peter. At the end of the day, like, where would I go? There's no one like Jesus. And there's nothing like the scriptures that was given to us. Listen, there is no parachute for the next life. You've already arrived. Your sins are forgiven. The kingdom of here is here. Jesus is Lord. He is on the throne. And I just pray today that you would choose to continue following him or that you'd follow him for the first time. That you would receive that fullness that will never go away. Before I pray for you, parents, know what your kids are listening to and following. The fact that there's 150 of us in here, that five of us knew the top three people on the biggest social media site in the world, which is TikTok now, probably gives us some indication that we need to know what our kids are listening to and following. That we as a church want to come around them my heart breaks for this generation right, that has, is assaulted on so many sides by so many different messages that we would 
journey together in this. It's my, my little word of encouragement for you. We love your kids. I mean, I have an 11 and eight year old and I go, man, we're just beginning this process of like, what are you watching on YouTube, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> it's an important question. Don't be afraid to ask it, to seek their heart. Jesus loves them. Let's pray. Oh, it feels like we don't deserve any of it sometimes. I guess that's why it's grace and that's why it's a gift. So God, we thank you for your son who came into this world. Gives us such a clear picture of your heart, Father. Gives us a clear picture of who you are, of your love for us, of your compassion, your empathy, your mercy, the grace and truth with which you live, we see so clearly in your son. We thank you that we're not alone, that we've been filled by your spirit to guide us and lead us, to give us wisdom in the various beliefs of this day. I pray, Lord, for a conviction to stay connected to your word, that your spirit, I know your spirit works so significantly through your words in the Bible. So I would pray you an encouragement to my friends today and we can continue seeking you. May we continue seeking in the hearts of the lives of the elementary and junior high and high school students that are figuring life out, that are being assaulted from ways that we've never experienced. And we pursue their heart as you are pursuing their heart. May they ultimately come to understand that you our Lord above all, that you have triumphed over all and full freedom is found in you. So may we go in that freedom in joy and in hope because we are free in you because of the cross. The triumph of the cross, we give you all this glory and honor and praise, Father, through your son Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen.